just the littlest sight of seeing someone living the Christmas message, the Christmas message of Jesus, Mary, and Joseph, it can change someone's life. When you're just trying the simplest of ways to follow Christ, you never know that someone might see it and be changed by your good example. It might be the worst day of your life. You might be Mm -hmm. miserable, but you're trying to follow Christ. Someone might see that and be moved by it. Welcome to the Catholic Theology Show, presented by Ave Maria University. I'm your host, Dr. Michael Dauphiné, and today I am joined by friend and colleague, uh, Father Robert Garrity, uh, who has uh, been at Ave Maria for almost 20 years now. And so welcome to the show, Father. Thank you, Dr. Dauphiné. It's a joy to be with you and with our audience today. Well, so glad to be here. And, And today we wanted to have a whole special on Advent and Christmas. How can we really live right, the Advent and Christmas seasons uh, in a way that gives us, right, that we can draw out the proper fruit uh, that the church puts before us so that we can really grow in our relationship with Christ this Advent and this Christmas season. So I'd love just to ask you, uh, based upon your so many years of working with college students, teaching college students, uh, being a pastor, what is for you, right, the secret of Advent? Well, it's funny you should ask because I looked in the dictionary, the word Advent, and uh, it comes from Latin words meaning the arrival mm-hmm. of something special. And uh, so it is something special. It's a, the four weeks before Christmas Day when we take a little time to focus our hearts on the arrival of the Lord at Christmas mm-hmm. time, but much more importantly, at the end of time. Yes. We're really forming an attitude mm-hmm. of expectation and positivity toward the future. Christ has come to us once, he will come to us again. Mm -hmm. And so it's a time of special preparation. I know you're going to want to talk about the penitential dimension Uh of Advent, which is a a part of it, but it's not the primary part. Mm -hmm. That pertains more to Lent. But since Advent can sometimes be called a little Lent, Mm -hmm. uh, there is that dimension of it. We want to do a little extra prayer, a little extra quiet time, maybe even a little bit of fasting Mm -hmm. in preparing for the Lord to arrive in our hearts, arrive in our families, arrive at Christmas Day and at the end of time. So it's a time of preparation, looking forward to something great, huh? That's wonderful. I love that theme too, that, right, I think it's Adventus Domini, the coming of the Lord. Yeah. And so Advent is not just a time of preparing for Christmas, as though we're going to get our shopping done (laughs) during Advent so we can, like, give gifts on Christmas, but the Advent is, remember, the coming of the Lord. Yeah. So... We're not, we're, we're awaiting, right, a person. Uh, and so how does that in a way change, uh, you know, like change what we do in Advent? Changes everything. It makes it very personal that Christ is coming to our hearts individually. Uh, there's that famous painting or picture that I've seen of Christ standing at a door And uh, there's no doorknob on the door. So the door has to be opened from the inside. Mm -hmm. We have to open our hearts to the Lord and welcome him, uh, make room for him. Uh, I know we're going to talk about favorite favorite Christmas hymns. Uh There's one that says, you know, make room for him, make room for Christ Mm -hmm. the Lord. So what we want to do is push back against anything in our lives that impedes Christ from arriving in our hearts. Just make a little bit more room for him and ask the Holy Spirit to help us to welcome Jesus Christ. That's that's so well put. And it's interesting you talk about that theme about the the inn or having room for Christ. And I think sometimes we we kind of sentimentalize, maybe Advent and Christmas, we sentimentalize the stories. Uh, we, uh, we discover a lot of warmth and joy in the stories. And so we also for, miss the darkness in there. And the way in which right Christ comes into the world uh in, in Mary and with Joseph, and they get just moved around like pawns on a chessboard by a um, by an earthly king uh, who just wants to call a census. So they have to go. Doesn't matter that she's pregnant. Doesn't matter that she'll have to give birth on the road. Uh, doesn't matter when they show up in Bethlehem. They uh, there's no room for them at the inn. Uh, there's a lot of great evil and suffering. It's beautiful to think about Christ being born in a manger, but it's also really hard to think about, right, uh, a woman giving birth in a, in a stall for animals, right? Uh, and then so soon afterwards, we have even, well, you know, at least within a, within a year or two, you know, we have uh, Herod 
you know, right, coming to kill the the children that had been born in, in the area. So what does it tell us in a way when we see something about the arrival of Christ, uh, but also the kind of darkness uh, that, that surrounds it? It's a very important part of Advent and Christmas that we don't think about enough, that he came into a world of darkness. He came into a world of difficulty. It wasn't easy. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, Joseph is one of the great figures in the Bible, and he's the only figure that does not say one word. We have not one word from Mm -hmm. Joseph. He's Mm -hmm. told to get Mary and the baby out of harm's way. He does that. He's told that he's supposed to do this. As you say, he's kind of a pawn in a sense, but he does the will of God silently. So I think there's a great message in Joseph for us, but I think just you touched on it, the darkness of that time. Uh, Jesus Christ, our Lord, though infinitely majestic and glorious, came in utter humility. Uh, What Mm. simpler way could a baby be born than in a barn? Uh, I mean, what more difficult way? So... uh, it's profound. There's a lot of suffering, a lot of darkness in there, and he came to overcome the darkness and to push back against suffering and to heal suffering, to make it bearable for us. Well, he did that in a very powerful way by coming into our world, not as, not as we might like it, but as it is, mm-hmm. not as he might have wanted it, but as it is. He came into a world that is affected by sin and darkness and made it a lot better, infinitely better, huh? Yeah, no, absolutely. It's so well put. How would you see... You talked about Joseph, and I've always been kind of impressed with the way that the Bible shows that it's interesting. We kind of have these characters, Joseph and, and Mary, and then we also got John the Baptist. We'll talk about him in a minute, but uh, that kind of shape our, in a way, our understanding. We kind of see Christ better when we see Christ with Joseph and with Mary and with John the Baptist and these others. But it's very powerful, and I think Pope Francis has a letter on St. Joseph in which he speaks of kind of creative obedience and this idea that Joseph was told what to do. But he really wasn't. He was told, take this woman, right? Mary, the child to be born with her of her is of the Holy Spirit. Go into Egypt. Come back from Egypt. But that's relatively it. We kind of would have liked, you know, we, we would like more from God, more description. <laughs> so I can just, can I just follow the recipe and follow the book? But that's not what God gives us. God doesn't give us instructions. He wants us to rely upon our own prudence, uh, Joseph's own justice, his courage, his fatherly and uh, husbandly heart. Uh, And he has to kind of figure out how to do it on his own. And I think there's a real kind of mystery there that, to a certain extent, right, Christianity in a way is that hearing God's word, hearing and obeying God's word, but then using all of our minds and our freedom to respond to it in a creative way. And so maybe if you could just say a little bit more about what what spiritual lessons do you draw from, say, Mary and Joseph as they are in this period of preparing for right the birth of Christ and then afterwards? They're remarkable, aren't they? And uh, here we have Joseph. Did he want to be doing God's will in the way that it unfolded? In other words, would he have preferred to have a nice, comfortable place in the inn? (laughs) Yes. Would he Mm -hmm. have preferred for his wife, Mary, to have a nice, comfortable place to give birth? Yes. Mm -hmm. He didn't get that. But he did God's will in his own circumstances. I think that's a great message for all of us. We might wish that things were different in our lives. Mm -hmm. We might wish, you know, this Christmas, Lord, I want it to be different. Well, maybe it's not going to be different. Maybe it's going to be just like all the Christmases in the past. But Mm -hmm. maybe it will be different in some some little way that the Lord is going to let us know he's with us. And our tiniest efforts to do his will can really make a difference. Look at Joseph just being... We don't know that he was particularly cheerful, but we presume that he was when he got the no at the uh, entrance to the inn. There's no room. Well, he did God's will in that situation. He mm-hmm. took Mary to give birth to the child out to the barn. Mm-hmm. And as you said, with the animals, let's face it, it stunk in that barn, mm-hmm. huh? Mm-hmm. And uh, she gave birth to the Savior of the universe. What was that song at one of our Christmas concerts uh, a few years ago? Something like, and his manger, or his, and the manger was his throne. A manger was his throne. This is where God the King came to be born among us in Jesus Christ our Lord. Okay? A manger was his throne. A manger is a place where the animals eat and they're there with the baby being born. Mm -hmm. It must have been very, very difficult and yet supremely joyful for the very Mm -hmm. same reason that God has come to us in our worst situations, our most difficult yeah. situations. He's right there with us, huh? 
Yeah, I, I see Christmas in many ways as this, uh, just this kind of powerful, uh, powerful image of God's grace and God's gift, right? It's a son is given, a child is born. God gives us the greatest gift. We could never do anything to earn Christ coming into the world. We could never do anything to earn, ultimately, union with God. We had broken that union through our stubbornness and our our sinfulness. But God comes back, right? He kind of, after the promises to Israel, the promises and the covenants, he realizes in a way that covenant by entering into humankind, entering into humanity, entering into creation. Uh, it seems there's kind of nothing more in a way than like Advent and Christmas that remind us of the utter ultimate powerlessness of our, of, of our attempts at trying to make, build the kingdom of God on earth. And I just wonder if you could you know, talk a little bit about that theme in a way of what are the fruits of recognizing kind of that powerlessness um, and finding joy and peace in it? Well, your words remind me of the second chapter of Paul's letter to the Philippians. Uh, Though he was in the form of God, he Mm -hmm. did not deem equality with God something to be grasped. So he emptied himself. That's the first humility. He became human. That's the second humility. Third humility, he suffered. Fourth humility, he died. Mm -hmm. And because of this, the Father raised him up so that the name of Jesus, every tongue would proclaim Mm -hmm. and every knee bend announce that Jesus Christ is Lord. So it's a literary device, but it proclaims just what you're saying, mm-hmm. the greatness of God, the pure gift that God stooped low to be with us mm-hmm. in our lowest time. And because of this, Jesus Christ can be recognized because of what he did. He came to us, a little child born, he will yeah. suffer, he will die. This child is born to die. So this child is born to mm-hmm. give his life for others. And the message of Christmas, of course, uh, celebrated a few days after Christmas at the Epiphany is that we can't just keep it to ourselves. Mm-hmm. You know, we have to give it away. When Jesus is manifested to the nation, nations in the persons of the three magi, the three kings, we, like them, are called to bring our gifts in service to the Lord. Lord, we give you what we have and uh, mm-hmm. we ask you to help us to proclaim yeah. you. Proclaim you, Lord, mm-hmm. that you have brought hope you have brought salvation to the world, huh? Yeah, so it's a kind of a gift exchange, right? The great gift yeah. exchange is God gives himself to us in his incarnate son. We receiving that gift, we have a choice. Yeah. But if we choose to receive that gift, then we can give right ourselves uh, back to God in yeah. Christ and give, of course, the good news of Christ to others. And really the whole New Testament is really nothing other than the announcement of that good news. You know, you're a great scripture scholar, I know that, and uh, in the recent history of scripture scholarship, uh, it has been proposed that there was a Q source, Quellen source, Quella source, an unknown source within the Gospels, and you have the Bible right here open to St. Luke, Mm -hmm. and some people have suggested that since there's so much information in Luke's Gospel about Mary, that maybe Mary was the Q source. (laughs) She was the hidden source that spoke to someone, and it was passed on and got its way into the Scriptures. It's entirely possible, whether you believe in the Q source theory or not, uh, the fact is that Our Lady is vitally involved in uh, the Christmas message as well. In other words, she's the one in whom God became human and she gives him to us as pure gift. Just what you said. We didn't earn him. We can't buy him. We can't deserve his grace. But it's it's freely given. Mm-hmm. But we are called to use it well. Use the grace we've given. We've been given. Use it well for the glorification of God and service of others. Oh, that's beautiful. Now I remember reading or hearing somewhere that Fulton Sheen said about Christmas. He actually said two things that I love. Uh, but the first one was that many times right? Uh, babies have grown up to be kings. This happens all the time. But never has he seen a king become a baby. Ah, I liked it. You know, yeah. and uh, what in a way do we learn about God by when, when God becomes an infant? God became vulnerable, mm-hmm. became small. Uh, Jesus in the manger there, a manger is a feeding place again for animals. So he became poor, he became infinitely humble, he became human, he became mm-hmm. the lowest uh, that he could be. And uh, that's, that's amazing. So he's the king mm-hmm. revealed in his humility, in mm-hmm. his lowliness, 
as you said, his utter powerlessness, which reminds us of our own utter powerlessness. Mm -hmm. All we can do is, you know, we adore you, O Lord. We adore Mm -hmm. you. Yes. And uh, the other thing that Fulton Sheen uh, said is he said that Christmas, he said, in all religions, all other religions and all philosophies of the world, ancient, new, whatever, it's always man's search for God. And of course, amidst that, there may be much truth, uh, but there's also a lot of confusion uh, in, you know, uh, in, in these religious traditions. Uh, but he says in Christianity, in, in beginning in Judaism, you get the opposite, not man's search for God, but God's search for man. Uh, that Christmas really is that kind of divine search and rescue mission where we had gotten ourselves so stuck in a hole, so stuck in a hole that we could not get ourselves out. And uh, so God, right, has to enter into that. And you're right, and he does so by way of humility. Uh, so I love that, that, that image. I like that image too, you know, that he came to us, you know, and uh, as much as we search for God, God infinitely more searches for us. Mm-hmm. You know, our search for God, our desire for God is just a tiny, tiny reflection of his infinite desire for us and search for us. Yeah. So as much as we think, you know, this year, Lord, I'm really searching for mm-hmm. you. Well, he's infinitely searching for us too. You wow, know? that's yeah. beautiful. Yeah. That's a beautiful image. I love that idea of thinking about uh, God, right, searching for us, God loving us. When we think about our own relationships, we often want to appear lovable to other people so that they will love us. Because there might be parts of us that we're afraid if they got to know, they wouldn't love. And there might be parts of us that are just not lovable. But the amazing thing is that God knows us perfectly. He knows all of our sins, all of our wounds, and loves us anyway. <laughs> that he knew how messed up we were and still choose chose to right enter the world out of love for us. It's awesome. Yes. You, you'd almost want to say it's too good to be true, you know? Yeah. But it is true. That's yeah. exactly what he did. He stooped low to be with us in our lowliness. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's one of the first lessons of Christmas for me is yeah. to remember how low God has stooped to mm-hmm. come to me, to come to us, to come to our yeah. world. Mm-hmm. And uh, in my imperfections and shortcomings and woundedness, he's right there with me. Yeah. And I think this last year, uh, I learned a little bit about that. Uh, during mm-hmm. the hurricane, I had to learn about patience in a new way. Mm-hmm. We had a hurricane uh, this past summer here and uh, this past fall. So it was, it was a challenge. Some people mm-hmm. lost their lives not too far from us. Yeah. They lost their property. Mm-hmm. And uh, our chancellor, Tom Monahan, lost his house. Yeah. His house was mm-hmm. destroyed. So we know a little bit about loss. We know a little bit about the inconvenience of mm-hmm. difficulties in life. We know more about it. And there's always a message in that. I many times don't see the message. I am the most imperson, impatient person I know. <laughs> but I know that uh, somehow the Lord is calling me to that kind of patience. I know patience comes from the root word to suffer. So sometimes it hurts to wait a little bit and slow down, but that's what our Lord invites us to do, and we can find him in that, in that slowing down just a little bit. I, I found that a little bit uh, this past year myself. Oh, that's wonderful. How uh, I asked some students to offer, ask some questions Good. along the way. And, um, <laughs> Those so, are the best yeah. student questions, aren't one, they? One alum, who's uh, now I think a mother of five, uh, asked, how can we... How, how to like not get overwhelmed by the busyness of you know these weeks before Christmas? Well, I often tell students, and it's difficult for students to find any time to pray. Students are so busy. Mm-hmm. They have so many distractions. And then there's social media. There's social life. Those are all good things in themselves. But uh, sometimes it's just about overwhelming for students. And I say, students, you do well to form a bookend, a beginning of your day and the end of your day. If you can find three minutes in the morning and three minutes in the evening— Maybe get your rosary started, pray a few decades or a decade or two throughout the day. If you get through the whole thing, that's great. And then conclude your day with three minutes of prayer. You'll have those bookends. Make that a consistent thing. Mm -hmm. Just be still with God for a few minutes, or that might be praying a few verbal prayers or just silent meditation. Or in our residence halls, there's a Blessed Sacrament Chapel, and every one of them, go for a few minutes of the Blessed Sacrament. Start your day and say, Mm -hmm. please, 
and end your day and say thank you. I think that's a great thing that mm-hmm. mothers can do. This mother with five children, she's yeah. very busy. You think you're busy, and I think I'm busy. <laughs> How about a mother with five children, yes, huh? Yes. She's the busiest of all. So if she can find three minutes at the start mm-hmm. of the day and three minutes at the end and maybe a minute in between, I think that's a good form of prayer, huh? That's wonderful. That's wonderful. Another question uh, that came up from a number of students is, Asking about how how to make Lent this preparation, uh, like you mean um, Advent? Sorry, how to yeah, sure. how, how to make Advent a what kind of disciplines or ascetical practices? How ought we to kind of live something like a penitential spirit during Advent? I like the way you said mm-hmm. that a penitential spirit because Lent or no, I did it too. Advent is not primarily a penitential season, but secondarily it is. Mm -hmm. Primarily, it is an attitude adjustment time of year when we focus our hearts on Christ arriving at the end of time and at Christmas time. So it's a Mm future-oriented mentality. However, it does involve a penitential spirit. In other words, we want to be a little bit more subdued, find a little time for quiet, little time for prayer and reflection, maybe reading the Scripture, especially Gospel of St. Luke, those first two chapters, and uh, just kind of... Be still with God. Be still and know that I'm God, as mm-hmm. Psalm 46 says. I think that's a great way to prepare. But it's not easy to do that. We have to block out the time. Mm-hmm. And uh, I know that can be difficult for a lot of people, but you can do it, and it's very much worthwhile. I found that in my own life that uh, if I don't get that time in for prayer, I'm like a chicken with its head cut off, just mm-hmm. running around. But if I can spend that time with the Lord and respond to his call to be still with him, especially before the Blessed Sacrament for a few minutes, mm-hmm. and if you're not near the Blessed Sacrament, you can focus your mind on the Blessed Sacrament, uh, that's a good way to do that. Just a little more focus on the Lord. I think that can be very helpful. I really that's do. Great. That's great. I recently learned that the Greek Orthodox and the Eastern Rite Catholic uh, churches, uh, they actually uh, do celebrate. I a, know you not, said that. I didn't know Lent. that till today. Yeah, I didn't know till today. A, but a um, but a, a season of fasting. Yeah. Uh, several weeks, actually, I think six weeks of fasting before Christmas wow. feast. And good for them. So one thing I think that you know is that we can certainly remember our 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 brothers and sisters in Christ, especially those in full communion sure. in the Eastern uh, Catholic uh, rites. Uh, and in that sense, that well, okay, maybe this isn't the full fast in the Western, in the Latin rite that we try to practice during Lent. But maybe there are, you know, again, there are little specific fastings we might make. Obviously, we are encouraged by the Church to fast every Friday in sure, some way. Sure. Not, you know, and and we no longer have to do that merely by not having meat. But we still are encouraged to offer a sacrificial way every Friday. Maybe the Fridays in Lent could be kind of a focus. Uh, I love your suggestion about taking extra time for prayer or maybe trying to make our times of prayer a little bit quieter, uh, taking up scripture. Uh, Are there any other things that, you know, just to kind of like not let this Advent pass by these four weeks or, you know, this little short time, what might you suggest to... Along with the quiet. Yeah. I do think it's a good time Mm -hmm. for music. You know, there's Mm -hmm. some beautiful music Mm -hmm. that focuses on Advent, Come thou long expected Jesus. Da, 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 da. So there's times for mm-hmm. beautiful prayerful music. And I know, you know, some people say you should never sing a Christmas carol until after Christmas Eve, but you can start thinking of those words a little bit, like joy yeah. to the world. Huh? Mm-hmm. You want to be an, uh, an influence of joy, a witness to joy. Yeah. Uh, I want to be that, and I, I hope all of us can be somehow a witness to the goodness, truth, beauty of the Lord yeah. uh, as we you know, prepare during Advent and celebrate Christmas. And it really does make a difference. Uh, sometimes you see someone, and you might not even know the person, but you see, oh, that person has a happiness in her heart or his heart that I don't have. I want what she's got. I want what he's got. And uh, it's a, as Pope Benedict used to say, a great way to announce the Lord by true joy of heart, which means not just a superficial yuck it up kind of happiness, but mm-hmm. it means a deeper gratitude for God's gifts and uh, a deeper openness to the delight that the Lord wants to have in us and wants us to have in our hearts for him. So I think that can be a way of uh, giving witness to That's the great. Lord's presence. That emphasis yeah. on, it's really is a season of joy. We have the joyful mysteries and the rosary. And yeah. so these are joyful seasons. How do we live that joy uh, in a in amidst you know right a a world that's hurting a world that's broken a world that often tries to break us right that all these difficulties 
but finding that true spirit of joy. So that's a great... You just reminded me of Dorothy Day. Mm. Uh, You may remember that she had a very difficult youth and very difficult young life, but uh, there's a little note in her uh, Long Loneliness, the book, about how the fact that her neighborhood, I think her name was Mrs. Barrett, lived next door. Mrs. Barrett had problems galore, poverty, troubled children, all kinds of problems, but Mrs. Barrett had joy, and Dorothy Day... Before Dorothy's conversion looked so, what, what has she got? She used to pray the rosy. She'd sit outside and pray the rosy on her front step. She thought, she's got a prayer life, an interior life. She's got a devotion to Our Lady. So that prompted Dorothy to begin to pray and pray the rosary. It led to her conversion, her baptism, and uh, she opened the homes for the homeless and feeding poor street people and became a great witness to Christ's love. So just the, the littlest sight yeah. of seeing someone living the Christmas message, the Christmas message of Jesus, Mary, and Joseph— it can change someone's life just by seeing it. So you never know yeah. when you're just trying the simplest of ways to follow Christ. You never know that someone might see it and be changed by your good example. It might be the worst day of your life. You might mm-hmm. be miserable, but you're trying to follow Christ. Someone might see that and be moved by it. So you just never know. Wow. Thank you, Father. Sure. Uh, we're going to take a break, but when we come back, Thank I'd you. love to talk a little bit about how do we move from the Advent season to the Christmas season. Thank so you. we'll come yes. back. listening to the Catholic Theology Show, presented by Ave Maria University. If you'd like to support our mission, we invite you to prayerfully consider joining our Annunciation Circle, a monthly giving program aimed at supporting our staff, faculty, and Catholic faith formation. You can visit us at AveMaria.edu to learn more. Thank you for your continued support, and now let's get back to the show. Welcome back, Father. Uh, another question I'd love to uh, ask you as we start thinking a little bit about really living Christmas se- as a season. What's one of your favorite Christmas carols? Well, uh, I was thinking about that. Yeah, and to me, it's easy because I can't wait for this one to come every year. Mm. Joy to the world! I love that one. The mm. Lord is come, let earth receive her King. I love that set, that hymn. Mm. Uh, I love the part where it says. Let every soul prepare him room, and heaven and nature sing. It's as though creation yeah. is giving thanks back to the Lord for coming to us. Heaven and nature sing. Nature, the created nature, our human mm-hmm. natures, all that is pertaining to nature is elevated, made greater by the arrival of Christ the King. And uh, that's my favorite by far. What's your favorite? Do you great. have a favorite? Um, Oh, you put me on the spot, Father. I just like to ask the question. <laughs> okay, um, okay. So, you know, let me think. Uh, I love that one. I feel like there's another one. Um, I think it's Hark the Herald Angels That is a classic, sang, too. And I think it's the last verse, too. Um, but mild he lays his glory by, yeah. born that man no more should die, born to raise the sons of earth, born to give us second birth. I can never get through it without crying it is a, when they say it. It is a so, moving um, hymn. Uh, there's just a real beauty in that. And I love the way that the songs um, communicate a rational truth, but in a way that f- fully like actualizes the whole person. We hear it with our ears, with our minds, but also with our passions. And at times we not only have intellectual joy, but we can have, right, even a little bit of visceral joy. Uh, and it's interesting, you end up with the joy of tears, right? You know, you cry because also in the, it's so beautiful, and yet, in part, it's so beautiful because we know we're not home, right? You know, we still know that in this world, like, Christ is risen, but he's also crucified. I mean, he's, he, this, this boy who was born will die, um, we who are born will die. Our loved ones who are born will die. Uh, and so we have kind of that bitter sweetness in which we believe that Christ is born. We believe that Christ uh, died. We believe that Christ rose again. We believe that we will rise again in Christ, God willing, by his mercy, by his grace. Right. Uh, and yet, um, that, that profound joy is uh, it's not... It's not wishful thinking. I guess that's what I'm saying. It's not Pollyannic. It's not discounting the sufferings of the world. It's that, no, in the midst of those, 
Christ is victorious. And when we hear those hymns, you know, uh, that he came to us that we may, that we may no longer die. Yeah. And finally, I mm-hmm. get it. I get it. I get just a little bit of it this year, a little bit more of it this year. Uh, I, I get very teary-eyed at those hymns, too. And I the, love that. It's not good for the priest to be crying up there in front of her, <laughs> but it happens sometimes for me. Uh, <laughs> that's that's really uh, wonderful. Um, you know, we, we do talk about the right 12 days of Christmas. Uh, people may not know, but Christmas is an octave. So there are eight days of Christmas where every day, right, uh, when Mass is celebrated, it's that this day. Um, what would you say to people uh, about celebrating the octave of Christmas as opposed to Christmas Day or right the season of Christmas or the 12 days of Christmas? Well, I would just say the fact that the church assigns an octave to the celebration tells us it's huge. Uh-huh. In other words, it's more than a one-day feast. Yeah. It's like we can't contain our joy. It overflows for one day. And then another day, and another, and another, 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 uh-huh. another. Yeah. Eight full days. Mm-hmm. And there are 12 days of giving gifts at Christmas, mm-hmm. the 12 days of Christmas and remembering Christ. And uh, so I would just say it's one of those overflows that we just can't, yeah. we can't express it fully. It's sort of like the opposite effect at the Easter vigil. We can't wait to celebrate Christ's risen, and so we move on to Saturday evening before Sunday Easter. <laughs> we can't wait. We're, yeah. We have overflow, mm-hmm. uh, you know, divinity in us, we might say, a, a share in, in God's divinity in our created way. So we want to express it as the best way we can as humans. It's an overflow. Yeah, that's really... Beautiful. And I like that idea of, of giving gifts throughout the Christmas season. Uh, one thing we did more when our, our children were younger is we would save one gift and we would give it at Epiphany on at the 12th day of Christmas on Epiphany and right, the Magi would bring it. Great tradition. And uh, little ways I think that we can do to help our own, uh, that we, re- we want to experience that overflow. Well, it's funny you mentioned that because I was thinking, I read one time that if you gave the gifts of 12 days of Christmas, it would cost you about $300,000. <laughs> and the most expensive one was Lords of Leaping. If you brought in oh. the, a group of lords from England, you'd uh-huh. have to pay their airfare and all like that. It would cost you a lot of money. And mm-hmm. uh, But uh, you know, in honor of uh, the English who lost their queen this year, mm-hmm. uh, we can remember that those gifts are wonderful ways of expressing the faith, the yeah. 12 days of Christmas. Mm-hmm. Huh? And, and perhaps maybe making a resolution to go to mass during the octave, beautiful, not just on Christmas Day. Uh, no better way to a celebrate bit it. more, yeah, uh, or these sorts of different things. And again, having Christmas be a time of joyful prayer, so we still spend that time in prayer, but now with a deep spirit of thanksgiving. You know, one thing that uh, Saint Augustine would teach in his, some, he gave some sermons on Christmas. It's fascinating. It was, you know, Augustine, right, um, uh, died in 431, so he becomes a bishop, or I think around, you know, 397 or something in the 390s, and and by that time, Christmas is already established, right, as a holiday, as a holy day in the crisp, in the liturgical year, and so we have some of his sermons on Christmas, and he talks a lot about how at Christmas we celebrate that God became man so that men might become God, right? The son of man became the, or the son of God became the son of man, so that the sons of men might become, right, sons and daughters of God. How would you, and how do we, how how would you help make that concrete for people? That can seem very abstract, right? But it seems it's kind of the most intimate mystery. How would you Well, I've heard you preach and teach on this before, you yourself, Dr. Dauphiné, and uh, that's an excellent topic. You've quoted the second letter of St. Peter, that uh, we have a share in the divinity. It doesn't mean we become the fourth persons of the Trinity, (laughs) but it does mean we have a created share in the uncreated God. Now, Mm -hmm. what is the uncreated God? What is his being like? Well, it helps us on a created level to be more intelligent, to think more clearly, helps us to act more charitably, more mercifully toward others because God is merciful Mm -hmm. and he's infinitely intelligent. So when we have this share in the divinity of Christ as creatures, it lifts us up. It makes us more than we could be on our own. And I would just say on a very practical level, 
Uh, Christmas and the holidays are sometimes stressful for families. Mm-hmm. Sometimes families are at tension. They see each other not that often, maybe at Christmas time, and it's can, sometimes can be a little bit awkward, or mm-hmm. sometimes relatives don't get along, or we don't get along, and uh, not as well as we should. So I think if we just reach out and have a little extra patience with one another, a little bit extra charity, mm-hmm. I think it goes a long way to making it a little bit more bearable for others. Now, as you said earlier, sometimes you're thinking about the fact that uh, you know each of us might be suffering in some way, but the mm-hmm. other person might be suffering more. And so mm-hmm. if we can just listen a little bit to the other person, yeah. I just read something about uh, an author who was saying, if we listen, it can make a big difference. And sometimes that's hard. I know I like to get together when I'm with family. I like to talk. And so- <laughs> if I just shut up once yeah. in a while, yeah. it helps other people to tell their story. And if I listen, I can affirm the other yeah. person too. So I think listening is important for me personally. That's beautiful. That's uh, I think I remember somebody telling me, right, I have two ears and one mouth, so I'm supposed to listen twice as much as I talk. I think there's a lot of truth to that. And and you do bring up that important point, right? A lot of for a lot of people, uh, the holidays are hard. They are, uh, and the expectations I, are yeah, so high. You yeah, know that we have these expectations that maybe students, if they go home, everything's going to be good with their old friends or their family, or uh, yet again, we yeah we have this kind of we it, we can fall into kind of an idealized vision of ourselves and of others and then we feel kind of sad or we can almost despair a little when uh when we don't meet meet that reality i remember being on a retreat one time when a priest was saying that the old macy's day christmas parades or they would go along and so the shops on the street would have nativity scenes all up and down and it was always like perfect family perfect family perfect family and it's, of course, it's just not true, right? It's not. It's not anything like we were talking about. You know, sure. they, they were they were holy, but the holy family was holy, but the holy family was was um, very messed up. And of course, our families are really messed up, right? You know, they have all these challenges and problems. And what the priest was saying is, get rid of the kind of idealized portrait of the family and simply say, no, it's in the midst of your actual family as it is this year with you in it, right? Not only, you know, as your family, so to speak, sometimes, you know, your family is sometimes a little broken, but you're broken. I'm broken too. And when we can kind of say that is where Christ's entering into our history, the history of the world under Roman domination, the history of Israel with a second temple that was not even worthy of the glory of the first temple, right? Of my life with my own, you know, just with the all, you know, and, and, and that's where Christ is coming into us in the midst of our real life. And so in a way, if God can enter into that life, then maybe we can exercise a certain sense of acceptance. Uh, and I think that's a real gift of Christmas. And I think we can you know, share that with other people, I think, who, who often can feel that they don't live up to or hurt because maybe loved ones are no longer alive or they're estranged from loved ones. Uh, what have you, like in your own pastoral work, you know, to try to, you know, uh, help people in the midst of that? That was a beautiful burden. reflection. I want to thank you for that. Uh, you called to mind for me again, St. Joseph. Uh, Father Benedict Rochelle used to tell the story about the Holy Family. They mm-hmm. come down for their morning breakfast, they yeah. sit at the table, and Joseph sits there on his left hand is the Immaculate Conception Mary, on his right hand is the Incarnation of the Living God. <laughs> he's the only one at the table with any sins, and he's the head of the family. Yeah. Talk about having to be humble. Mm-hmm. So I think Christmas invites us to be humble and to accept the fact that God comes into our families as they are, not as we might want them to be. Mm-hmm. And the people in our lives are not always as we want them to be. We ourselves are not as the way we might want to be. Yeah. But God comes to us as pure gift in Jesus mm-hmm. Christ. So I have found that uh, if families can have a little bit of acceptance and humility, just what you said there, I think that makes a great deal of difference. A little bit of attitude adjustment. And uh, again, lower the expectations. It's not going to be necessarily a high mystical experience uh-huh. to be with all of your relatives <laughs> for three or days <laughs> or whatever it's going to be. But it might be. You <laughs> never know what God might do. But yeah. uh, more likely, it's going to be a little bit of both, a little bit of joy, a little bit of tension. And we accept that, huh? That's great, Father. Uh, so another question that students had asked relates to uh, the question of Santa Claus. And uh, so the question is, to Santa or not to Santa? Right. <laughs> 
How would you answer that? Well, I think back to a priest friend of mine years ago, and he used to have at his Christmas Eve Mass, he used to have someone who would help to bring Santa in. He would come in after communion, and uh, he would kneel down before the Blessed Sacrament and oh. adore. Mm-hmm. So he incorporated Santa by way of saying that Santa, who you know we know historically come, comes partially from St. Nicholas, 4th century uh, mm-hmm. bishop, and uh, but he incorporated that by way of saying that Santa Claus, you know, is a Christianizable uh, reality. In other mm-hmm. words, we can use Santa to our advantage. Now, if Santa becomes an obstacle to Jesus Christ, that's a problem. We have to detach from Santa a little mm-hmm. bit. So uh, each family works it out according to their own uh, guidelines and things like that. But uh, that would be my thought. I don't have a strong opinion either way about to Santa or not to Santa. Mm-hmm. I don't know. What, what's your thought on that? That's a very well, good question. We actually had a panel on this <laughs> a year ago. Yeah. Uh, the students had asked this for the department. And... Uh, among other things, uh, I, I being a, a lover and a fan of uh, C.S. Lewis, yeah. uh, immediately thought of Father Christmas, Father Christmas, right, who shows up and gives gifts to the children. Of course, interestingly, the gifts he gives are um, gifts of healing and gifts of war, right? Healing, but also defense, a shield, um, a dagger, um, a bows and arrows, these sorts of, but also a cordial of healing. These are the gifts that are given. And... You see, in a way, okay, this is Father Christmas is um, it's kind of taken up within, subordinated to the victory in a way that Aslan will give in that story. And so for me, I have that sense that like these are just, it's natural that we're very imaginative and creative creatures. We're constantly coming up with stories and developing them. And so as the church lives, it comes up with more examples, more little instances of things. The Christmas tree in and of itself was just a tree, or it was part of even pagan worship. But you know what? We don't worship the pagan gods anymore, and trees are kind of cool. And <laughs> right, you know what I mean? And you can kind of think the trees are evergreen. The spikes grow up. You know, there's all sorts of ways that, or needles, I guess, uh, you know, that you can think about the tree kind of now as, well, how do I remember Christmas? Well, I remember Christmas in part by having a tree. Oh, now I remember it's Advent. I see the tree. I remember it's Advent. I remember it's Christmas. We're we're incarnate beings. We need these sorts of things. Um, I also love that the uh, right the, the nativity scene. I think is it's such a loss that I think that's become somewhat eclipsed. And I think recovering the nativity scenes in parishes in homes that the center is really that. That, that, that manger scene, St. Francis did this, started this, that, that a child will be born, and that's our focus. Um, one year, by the way, I even, um, on <laughs> Christmas Eve at the dinner after Mass, I uh, carried around a little child, little, um, little anyway, uh, what was it, a little like infant baby doll. Uh, and uh, anyway, a lot of my uh, nieces and nephews and children thought I was a little crazy. Um, <laughs> but it was just having they that loved sense it. of trying to like remember it's a child that's born. So yeah. keeping that focus. The other thing I've had students ask, which is, isn't it lying to your children? And I think there is it. it there, there's also kind of. I mean, when we read fiction, we're not lying. Yeah. Uh, when we tell stories, when we tell jokes, we're not lying. Um, now. Maybe there is a time at which, you know, like if they're, I don't know, like, you know, 18 and we're still like, you know, like at a certain point kind of say like, okay, hey, look, let's continue to do this. But now we're going to move from make believe to now this is part of a, it's part of like a play that we're putting on. But the play that we're putting on is, is not untrue. It's just not, it didn't literally happen and it doesn't literally happen, but it's still part of the joy. And uh, and I sometimes also think it's one of the few things in a way that still is s- something like a, a Christian fragment that's still present sure. in our c- culture. So I'm, I'm, I'm not sure there's so few left Yeah. anyway, but I do agree each family um, there's no, you know, uh, right or wrong, or I, I, at least I would say, I don't believe it's lying, um, but I also don't believe it's absolutely necessary. Like, right. you know what I mean? It's certainly, you're fine to, but um, it's certainly not lying because you know, it, yeah. put it this way. If Santa Claus equals a gift giver, 
is there a gift giver? The answer is abundantly yes. Yeah, there is yeah. a gift giver. Yeah. And you as a father with your children, you yeah. had to, you and your wife had to be the gift givers yeah. for your children. So is there a Santa? If you say Santa is a gift giver, yes, there's a Santa. Yeah, does yeah, he remind yeah. us of God in gift giving? Yeah, yeah. Yes, he does. Mm -hmm. Can he be sometimes abused and be get in the way a little bit? Well, I suppose so. So we have yeah. to, it's, it's, that's the way it works, I think. Well, that's great, uh, Father. So maybe just a last uh, question here. Um, what would you, what, what are some of your favorite um, maybe memories of Christmas? And I might, you know, uh, like from when you were younger, uh, and then maybe kind of Christmas, uh, given your time at Ave Maria with students. That's a great question. And I have a couple memories. One I remember, and this was captured in a home movie. I was never really big on giving or getting a lot of elaborate gifts, but I liked simple things. And this one year, I was maybe, I don't know, 12, 13 years old. I loved hockey. I had gotten into hockey, and it was a cold winter, and uh, I got a hockey puck. And I was oh. so having a hockey puck, and I had a stick, and I could start practicing. My dad wasn't thrilled that I was shooting hockey pucks into the wall in the basement. Yeah. But at any rate, uh, that was a fun one. I remember mm -hmm. another one I had. Uh, there was a Jewish woman who lived in my parish, and she understood Christmas, and she brought me bagels. And uh, they were the best bagels I ever had. And I'll never oh. forget that, that someone uh, you know, brought me some bagels. And I just remember, I remember on our old campus, you might remember, we had some wonderful Christmas celebrations there, which is now the library of the law school. Mm -hmm. And uh, just fond memories of just celebrating, whether it's at 5 p.m. or a little bit later or the midnight mass, those Christmas Eve and mm -hmm. Christmas midnight uh, masses. I just, uh, I just love that. And in my parish years ago, Chris, we, we had like three Christmas Eve masses, including uh, Christmas Eve mass. I think we might've had four one year, but, uh, they were always packed mm -hmm. and just the sense that, you know, everybody's here, everybody's here, everybody who wants to be is here. And I just was overwhelmed by the thought that so many people, uh, found time in their schedules to come to Holy Mass. It, it was very moving. Now, sometimes we joke, we call them the Christers, the Christmas and Easter celebrators. Uh -huh. My brother-in-law used to say, they should give the rest of us the day off from Mass so they can have the chairs because there's no more <laughs> chairs. But at any rate, uh, it always worked out fine, and it was always a great celebration. So those are a few of mine. That's great. I remember hearing uh, a, a priest who every Christmas homily would say something usually at the end like, um, uh, you know, we do this every Sunday if you're interested. So, uh, you know, and, and I don't make light of, um, of, of that, but I do think there's a way that it's just, you know, it, it's kind of a beautiful, this, this, this longing, even people that have, you know, that are not committed to living the faith day in and day out still find connection. That's here. right. And I think that's a real power in a way sure. of the, the great feasts. Um, that we are in a way we're we're we need feasts. We need a liturgical year. This developed very early on in the life of the church. It's is modeled on the life of Israel, which God set up according to certain great feast days and great liturgical times. And so I think we really need to, you know, when we see that, we see like, wow, that's how powerful this is. That's how much I need not only the creed and the truth. But right, that the creed itself is a story. The creed itself says not only is God three in one, but also that He's Father, and that He became, and that His Son, right, was conceived of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary, right? That He suffered under Pontius Pilate, and and you know, would you say just a word about how do we move from Christmas to right the cross and resurrection? Well, I'm just thinking of something by your fine words there. Uh, my sister has two nativity scenes. One of them she set up for Sunday of Advent where she's got, we call it each year, the big fat baby Jesus. She's got this <laughs> little baby Jesus who's fat, and he's already in the manger. But the other one is the one that she sets up. And at Christmas Day, she puts the little baby Jesus in the yes, manger. So yes. she waits till mm -hmm. then. But going forward from there, how do we prepare for the cross? Well, I think it comes back to what you said so eloquently that God became human for us. Uh, he came down, his son, the son of God himself, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, consubstantial with the Father. He came down to be with us. Mm -hmm. And uh, does he suffer and die in his divinity? No, but he does it in his humanity for yeah. us, to be with us in our broken humanity. Mm -hmm. So his birth points to his death. His death points to his resurrection, his triumph over death on the glory of Easter Sunday. So Christmas and Easter are very closely related. Yeah. We know, as 
theologians that, of course, uh, Easter is the more important feast, but Christmas, for cultural reasons, reasons has become Mm -hmm. more important for a lot of people. We accept that, and we say, okay. Mm -hmm. So, But Christmas points to the cross, points to the resurrection, points to the sending of the Holy Spirit and the founding of the church. So God is alive and well. Amen? Absolutely. And there's some beautiful, right? We kneel during the creed at the... Incarnation. That's right. Right. God became man and dwelt among us. That's so, exactly right. Um, I have a, a so just three uh, final questions sure. I'd like to ask you. Um, what's a book you're reading? I have been reading a little book, uh, actually a couple little books. I was just thinking about that earlier today. Your friend and colleague, uh, Dr. Matthew Levering, wrote a book called Prayer and Contemplation, and he takes several of the great leaders in prayer down through the ages, and uh, he give text and a little commentary. Uh, I was just reading by an Eastern saint Mm -hmm. and mystic in the 14th century, St. Gregory of Sinai, and he talks again about praying the Jesus prayer. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner, and breathing that with Mm -hmm. each breath, spending a little time with that. That's a book I've been reading, which was very helpful to me. I've also been reading a little book about uh, uh, St. John Vianney, just a short little book, the patron of priests, and uh, talks about how just very humbly he served God mm-hmm. in a terrible little town. Ours, we think he's the curé of ours, this town in France. Yeah. We have this magnificent mm-hmm. view of it. It's not. It's, when he went to it, it was a dump. It was a dumpy <laughs> little town. I'm sure the people were very good, but it was an old, beat-up town, <laughs> yeah. and uh, he just brought life to it through his own prayer and fasting and ministering to God's people. So that's what I've been reading, and those are helpful to me and uh, just reminding me of what God is doing, what God is doing this Advent and this Christmas, coming to us and being present to us, especially in the Blessed Sacrament. So those books have helped me lately. That's beautiful. What's a practice you do every day or or how do you do a practice you do every day in a way that helps you grow closer well, to that's, God? Well, that's an excellent question. And someone asked me years ago, someone said to me, Father Bob, you seem like you are committed to joy. I never thought about it. I said, I suppose I am. But where does it come from? I said, well, if it comes from anywhere, it's from the Blessed Sacrament. Mm. I have to make it my business. It's sort of like, I would think you would call it remedial spirituality. I have to remedy my own weaknesses and shortcomings by spending regular time with the Blessed Sacrament. So I really do try to spend uh, time with the Blessed Sacrament every day, and adoration, uh, I feel, is uh, the key to my own and a lot of people's joy of heart. So that's what I try to do. And, of course, the rosary. I like to pray the rosary, especially when I drive in the car. So any of our alumni or listeners, Mm -hmm. you might think you don't have any time, but if you're driving to work or to the store, you could probably pray a part of the rosary or all of it or a chaplet of divine mercy. That can be prayed Mm -hmm. in like five minutes. So uh, we can find times to pray if we look for them, huh? Beautifully put, Father. And uh, last question, Um, what's a falsehood uh, that you believed about God? And kind of how did it hurt you, and what was the truth you discovered? Wow. Well, you might not believe this. Maybe you will. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But uh, I was sort of the bad child in my family in a lot of ways. We Mm -hmm. had five uh, five siblings, six kids, and I was the one who was in trouble a lot. And uh, so I sort of thought that I was— uh, unlovable in some ways. Mm-hmm. But God has always been trying to prove me wrong about that, that uh, he loves me and he encourages me to love others. So I have found that with God's grace, sometimes I have the ability to reach out to people who themselves might be in trouble and troublemakers, mm-hmm. and uh, I can sometimes help them along the way. So that's one thing I've learned, that God is merciful. Uh, reading Mother Teresa over the years, I did some research on her, and uh uh, I think that she was a great witness to mercy, and so I try to be an instrument of mercy also and imitate her and, of course, imitate Jesus Christ, who is mercy itself. Well, that's so beautifully put, um, Father, and uh, thank you so much. Thank uh, you so much, this Doctor. Time. It's been a great honor. You had some good questions uh, there. Our well, students have really good questions too, yes, don't they? Huh? Yes, and I Our know I, I'm uh, going to you know, take all, a lot of that into kind of trying to live that joy uh, this uh, Advent and Christmas season. Thank you. Great. Thank you, Father. Thank you so much for joining us for this podcast. If you like this episode, please rate and review it on your favorite podcast app to help others find the show. And if you want to take the next step, please consider joining our Annunciation Circle so we can continue to bring you more free content. We'll see you next time on the Catholic Theology Show.